Good morning, good morning, good morning. Good morning, everyone. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? I'm really, really good. I'm really good today. I'm really excited. Back in the studio and we have no guests. We have. We've got lots of guests. Virtually. Yes. We've got contributions coming out of our ears, folks. We are so chuffed. If I can use that phrase, I hope you understand it. We're so chuffed. We've had so many contributions, too many contributions to read them all out today. So if we don't read every one, we're very, very sorry. But we'll try and do some more over the course of series two. But we have had so many contributions and so good are these contributions. Yeah, that has been one of the best things about this reaching people and reading their work and knowing that we have prompted a little piece of creativity from somewhere else in the world. Dave. Yes. What have you learned? What have I learned? From doing the podcast. Can I tell you what my favourite bit rather than what I've learned? Because I think they're, they're kind of like linked together. I'll start off by saying one of my favourite bits in all of this podcast was was right back in episode one. And that was David Oakley's The Half-Eaten Tangerine one minute response yeah. to the prompt in the show. And the reason why I love that so much was that it was a eureka moment, I felt, in what we were doing. It was like, oh, look, we're not mad. We, This can work. It's that one moment of sudden, immediate creativity that we all have. Just, just those wonderful little moments in life that burst forward and their celebration. I think we're really, really lucky because we've been witness to so many of those during this podcast. So what have you learned? Well, I've, I've learned that you don't need shit loads of time to write. All you need is a timer, some consistency and a bit of uh, chutzpah. I like that word. Thank you. Before we go any further, one of the bits of feedback we've had is that people don't know much about who we are and what we write. True. Okay. Uh, so I am an actress by profession. I moved back to Sheffield after a 10-year stint in London and did an MA at Sheffield Hallam, which is where I met quite a few of some, you know our guests. I kind of got embroiled in the writing community here. But I've always written. So I've my first ever word was story apparently. Wow. Um, so yeah, I, I used to, I started off writing plays and performing plays, but I always wanted to write and direct rather than be in them. But then at uni, I kind of got the acting bug and went off to do that. So when I finished being in my comedy double act and doing the acting stuff, which I do still do, not the comedy stuff, but the acting stuff, I came back to do an MA and the idea was write a killer screenplay in order to star in it and then take over the world. That didn't happen yet so I wrote loads of like comedy stuff with my comedy partner at the time Lucy we did Edinburgh shows together lots of that stuff and then on the MA I discovered short fiction so I started writing flash fiction and micro fiction and short stories and then that kind of grew into the beginnings of the novel that I am now on draft seven of it's called seven Escape. yeah it's called Escape Artists it's gone through many 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 different versions i think this is the final one it better bloody be day because i am sick of it it's been going on for this is the third year but i you know i think writing a novel is a real marathon so i have peppered it with continuing to write short bits of fiction and then i kind of chuck those at competitions in order to give myself a bit of a morale boost but then weirdly i applied for a sky writes screenwriting thing um and i sent them a bit of the novel that I'd adapted to into a script and I got selected. So Yay. I've now begun the process of adapting the book for screen. Uh, so I finished the pilot and that's kind of out. I've entered a few things with that. So basically I'm a bit of a, um, a jack of all trades. Okay, I love it. I would like to know about it. you and your writing now, please Dave. Um, the story <laughs> in my writing is a story. It's actually quite a sad I'm a bit, sometimes we're a little bit cautious about telling my story because it's all about people dying, which is a little bit weird, I suppose, in that sort of sense. I actually don't think it is that weird. I think grief is a catalyst for creativity. Mm. Like pain is a catalyst for creativity. Well, it's funny, when when you were talking about your doing the comedy and everything at uni, when I first started writing, which is, I was knee high to a grasshopper, it was all comedy stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I went to university where I got the comedy bug as well. And I joined what was... A there. troop. Yeah, a troop. That's the only way I put it. The thing that I realised when I was doing that was that, because I had to go at stand-up and I had to go at sketches and all of that, uh, I even wrote something that went up to, to Edinburgh. I know you've been up to Edinburgh and you performed at Edinburgh and all the rest of it. Well, my 
my little, my tiny, tiny moment in the spotlight in that sense was what I had one sketch performed at Edinburgh by the troupe and came out of uni and started to write little bits here and there and realised that actually I enjoyed writing serious stuff more than comedy. Uh, so I went into the family business, nothing to do with writing, but I wasn't a happy man. I must admit, I wasn't happy. And eventually I came back from one holiday and I said to my folks who I worked with that I just wasn't, you know, it wasn't happy and I, I needed to do something else with my life. And to his credit, I didn't expect my dad to turn around and go, yeah, I know. And he said, well, if you go, just do it, you know, and um, that's what you have to do. That's what's inside and go and do it. That was a Wednesday lunchtime. So I went that afternoon, I went back and said goodbye to everybody in the office. It was only a small business, you know, about 15 people. I went back, said goodbye, packed my stuff up and I left. That night I went to see Sheffield Wednesday play with my dad. We, we both had season tickets side by side. And on the way back to the car that same night, he had a massive heart attack and dropped down dead. So my next morning, I walked back into the office. I'd already said goodbye to the day before. and went, hello, I'm your new MD. And then spent the next 25 years running a business. It was the thing I I thought I had to do. I left behind the writing, never got to it. And so the things that I've written have all pretty much been about like his death, and then the death of my son was awful. Everybody who's near me dies. You better both run away quickly. Is I then got uh, married, kids, divorced, all that sort of. Got with somebody. We were about to buy a house, and she was diagnosed with cancer. And this was about twenty years after my father died. Lost her within five months. Really skirting quickly through the story. And I'll be frank. It made me think. I don't want to do anything anymore. I just. I don't know what I want to do. So I took some time off. I need to give a shout out to my mate, Steve, who uh, basically stepped in and helped me make a few decisions. When I took time off, I sat down and started to write. That's it, really. And I've been writing ever since. But everything I write has death at the heart of it, which is very strange, which I suppose is, is my little bit of therapy in all of this. So I have one novella, which is about to be published by myself because nobody else wants it. Dave, it's a strong choice that you have made. But hang on, I have also sold that as a to a screenwriter, taking that story and turning it into a screenplay. All the cool kids are doing it, Dave. I know they are. I need to do it myself, but I'm not cool. What was I going to say? Oh, yeah, and I've got another book called uh, From Where We Threw Dogs which is actually, that's all about actually losing your father. And I've got another one, which I'm just finishing off, also about death, the death of the, my partner, so. Catharsis. Yeah. Okay, so what's your writer's ambition? I just want to be known as somebody who has written. But, you know, I want to be known as Stephen Miller. He, he was a writer. He could write. Not necessarily a bestseller and all the rest of it, because I don't think I ever will be, but it's just a... He wasn't afraid to put pen to paper and then put that out for people to either like or dislike. So what's your ambition then? World domination. Okay. Shall we read some nice prompts, (laughs) responses from our brilliant, brilliant listeners? Absolutely. Right. Well, I'm going to kick off proceedings. We've got three pieces from Rhys Howell. You can follow him on Twitter at ghop56. What can I say? Well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go for it. The first one is in response to the prompt, Canary Laptop Blanket. Charles gingerly removed the blanket from the cage he'd carried all this way. The chirping began anew, shrill and piercing in the dark coolness of the mine tunnel. He reached into his satchel and removed a laptop, powering it up with his meaty thumb. The screen glowed and then went blue. The chirping stopped. Silence was deafening. He glanced at the bird, now incapacitated on the floor of the cage. He didn't have long now. His larger lungs gave him some protection, but unless he could log on and reset the pipe controls, he would soon suffocate too and join the choir invisible. Ooh, very nice. How's about that then? Very nice. What an opener. I know. I love meaty thumb. And, you know, what is this choir invisible? Like, you've got such an evocative sense of place and just that... You know, three minutes. That's three minutes. Tick VG, Reese. Reese needs to send some more in. And funny enough, he has done. Nice little link there, Dave. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> okay, this is um, 
another three minute is, is done. This is choose between the pair of tweezers, a pencil or a playing card. This is off the back of the Christmas episode. Oh, yeah. The child sat cross-legged, staring with doleful eyes. The stench of smoke, the smut of ash was all about her. She huddled into a foil blanket she'd been given, bereft and alone, her family lost to the flames. By her side, a charred Great Dane, nursing an injured paw. I walked over to her, her aura beckoning me. I opened the pouch by my side and laid in front of her some tweezers, a 2HB pencil and the ace of spades. Choose, I said. She did. She was the one. Now I just had to get her out of there and back to the abbey to start her training. Bloody clever, that. I love that. The smut of ash. Smut of ash. Smut of ash and a child, Great Dane, nursing an injured poor. I'm a dog lover. I, I, I like the idea of nursing the injured poor. It's genuinely sinister. It is indeed. It is indeed. What I will say, though, it's not very Christmassy, Reese. I don't care. I, I, I don't. really it's, like it's that. It's fantastic. I it's really absolute, like that. It's an absolute smash. It's funny about this, the Christmassy one because have you read his third one he sent in? Santa Claus has many disguises. Let's hear it then. Saint Nick, Père Noël, Father Christmas, Papa Crimbo, Jolly Old Holiday Harry, the Cold Bringing Captain, Abundance Fortitude. And by the end of the day, he's just your dad in his pyjamas. <laughs> That's great. Love it. Okay, next up, we have Tabitha Potts, and she is responding to the prompt, Someone keeps sending you severed heads of birds. Someone keeps sending you severed heads of birds. They arrive packed tight in styrofoam. You can't bear to open the parcels, but you have no choice. Each open beak a cry of outrage. You keep them all on the mantelpiece. One day wings arrive, the next, squat bodies and fan-like tails, twig-like feet. As you watch, beak, bone and feather twitch and pulse, recombine. You open the window and hear a rush of wings. Gosh, that is, I mean, I've got goosebumps. I love it. The whole idea, the squat bodies, the, the fan tails. And the All way back together. The, the, the writing is, is fragmented, almost yeah. poetic, the way that she pieces those words together, like the pieces of the bird and the kind of idea that those, what was it, the, the beaks open in, yeah. in outcry. Yes. Someone's packed them in styrofoam. So Tabitha has had stories long listed for the Royal Academy Pin Drop Award and the Sunderland's Short Story Award. One was a finalist at MRI Online's Folktale Festival and one was highly commended in MIR Online's Booker Prize competition. She also runs Story Radio, a short story podcast in her spare time, which we both recommend you all listen to, okay? It's not on request, it's an instruction. So you could do that at storyradio.org. That's storyradio.org. And you can read more stories on her website at Tabitha Potts. That's a double T at tabithapotts.com. Okay, so next up, we have got two pieces that, a uh, bit of a trigger warning here, deal with abusive relationships. So tune out now if that's not your cup of tea. They are both in response to the prompt, it happened at the Christmas party. It happened at the Christmas party. The Omicron outbreak and the fact we were going back on Zoom, giving some of us a false sense of security. That and the fact most of us were already half cut before we'd even logged on. The pop quiz didn't help. The men, on edge, anxious, competing. Stephen, correct but overly adamant that Careless Whisper was not a George Michael solo single. Mark, digging in, suggesting that in reality all Wham songs were essentially solo efforts, given that Ridgely did sod all on any of them. Neither budge until allowed to share the point. Faces kept, dominating and dictating the space. Maybe if it had been an actual office party, we'd have noticed sooner, read the room, challenged, calmed, but we didn't. And so suddenly Rebecca says, I've had his lap thrown in mine, and now it's only fair that you all see what I've just had to. Tom senses what's coming as she lifts her phone and turns the screen towards her laptop camera. He quickly disappears, but a small part of him remains on show. Blurred at first, but obvious. The women cringe and look away. The men laugh and stare, dominating and dictating the space. He's right about Careless Whisper. Um, but... I think you missed a point there, Dave. 
No, I think no, no. I, 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 okay, yeah, I'm not being, I'm not being glib. I love the fact that he uses that to disarm you from the whole yes. what's coming next, and I, that throws such a such a focus onto what comes next. Absolute, I loved it. Also, like it never occurred to me to think that an episode of of kind of abuse could occur within a, a virtual space, which like a, a Zoom party, like is this the thing we're going to have to? Yeah. to start navigating yeah but of course you know you hear about it online all the time don't you but yeah. at a christmas party online yeah. that's taking it to a whole new level isn't in, it in that scenario i think it's absolutely the, the, it's a sleight of hand almost and i love that in people's writing where they you think you're going excuse me in one direction yes. and drag you dump you almost into another point brilliant yeah and i like that that repetition of dominating and dictating yeah. the space dominating and dictating the space just by its repetition, it, it, it does, it dominates the, the space. Yeah, exactly. Paul Kenny, just the, the, the author of that, has written Shared for wireless theatre starring Rula Lenska and Jenny Runacre. He's also won a British Radio Award for the audio drama A Mother's Love, which, which was produced by Cornucopia Radio. I've heard of them. They're quite good. I've heard of them too. Yeah, and his recent audio drama Classless premiered as part of Pete McGee's this Class Works Festival here in Sheffield. Follow him, you should, on Twitter at, at Kenny251164. That is some piece of work. But next, using the same prompt, it happened at the Christmas party. Again, with the slight, well, with the flag of abusive relationships being covered in this piece, we have something by Lucy Bell. After a transplant, divorce rates are high. The statistics don't lie. When I met Rob, he really turned my head. He played me Procol Harum as I sunbathed on the deck of his canal boat. The barge prow cut through the oily water like a knife through butter. I put up far less resistance. It's the parish council drinks. Tinsel round the windows. A complimentary glass of wine. Have you connected with your donor? I'm married to her. I wish Rob wouldn't talk about his new kidney. He brandishes it at parties like a BAFTA. They took his old one out keyhole. It's me with a five-inch scar on my back. Three weeks in ITU I'll never see again. What's it like having part of someone else inside you? A stifled snigger from the counsellor. It's brought us closer, actually. Rob reaches past me to the trestle table, lifts the bottle, refills, his sixth glass. I don't enjoy his work boots on my white carpets, and I don't like him to marinate my kidney. Darling, I don't have a spare... Don't nag, he says, squeezing my waist. So it happened at the Christmas party, really. I decided to be a statistic. I love the whole... Again, it's the setup. Just giving us that immediacy about the transplant and the divorce. You know something's coming, don't you? You either know you're going to be dropped into something that's already happened, or you know it's coming. And it's just how then it, she builds it into that place. Yeah, especially when she she goes from that beginning of the relationship where yeah, on the canal really boat connected and with someone. it was so easy to fall for somebody that you don't also, see the darker side yet. What an unusual, like, a kind of looking at something like organ donation from a different perspective. And like, yeah, of course you're going to be pissed off if you've given someone a kidney and they're just going to rinse it full of booze. Really thought-provoking, interesting piece. Oh, and right. I, I love her use of dialogue in here as well. Yes. Which is interesting because Lucy Bell is the artistic director of Documental Theatre, which creates new theatre and audio inspired by interviews, archive and lived experiences. She was also the recipient of the Kevin Elliott Award in 2020 and Ronald Duncan Playwriting Award. She's had selected plays in Bristol Open Vic Open Session as the resident artist at Exeter Phoenix and an alumnus of the Soho Theatre Writers Lab. There are some very clever people out there and i've got to say i'm just delighted these clever people are listening listening listen to, to, our show. to our show yeah. god, god it's just amazing isn't it absolutely now we have a piece of writing and audio sent in by signa mana who used our prompt challenge of finding your greatest fear and best defense using a red book you own the broom closet is my only hope but it's there in the house the house across the canal, near the old stone bridge which even the swans avoid. 
the house with the leafless tree hanging over it like dark clouds, the house with stained glass that only depicts screaming faces. I only need one broom, the broom that I knew, the broom that knows me, but I can't do it, I can't touch that knocker, the knocker with the head of a lion. I can't touch the cold, cold iron only to push open the creaking door and shiver for a broom. A broom that allows me to travel. Not fly through the stormy air, that would be silly, but to the days of my youth, when my worst fear was losing a doll or that big black dog who lived across the streets. I need to hold the ash handle, feel the wood in my hand, feel the splinters entering my skin. Feel the dents, the cracks, the birch twigs. The broom had a life once, stories to tell. Once I have the broom, I will conquer the house. The house that my dad had left me, with the furniture, plants and the ghosts. Wow. Imagine being able to write a story like that in, in a second language. It's a theme I'd like to pull out in one of the episodes of the next series, is writing in a foreign language. Because I know a number of, of writers... From a, obviously abroad, because it's not here, but they they write in English, and I don't know. I, I mean, I struggle and they with write my own. Like that, that in English. Oh I know. my god! I know, and I love the way that I'm sat there listening to, it and I've got immediately this picture in my head. It's of, yes. Of I'm looking at that house. I'm just looking at the house with with regret. It would. That's what I got out of it anyway as it moved all the way through. It's incredibly visceral, isn't it? Yeah. And you get a real, real sense of place. It's like she is painting with words. Yeah. The house with stained glass windows that only depict screaming faces. And then you can f- almost feel those splinters going into her hands. If you didn't work it out, the greatest fear in this story was house, and the best defence was brooms. And this came from the 1959 book Cider with Rosie, by Laurie Lee. Laurie Lee, yes. Uh, Signa is a Belgian writer who is passionate about folklore and currently working on a collection of short stories based on Flemish folk tales and folklore. I want to read that. Head over to the website, her website at Signa Mana, which I'm going to have to spell this, folks. Um, S I G N E M A E N E dot com. Signamana.com. Yeah. Right, next we have. Rob Smith giving us a response using the prompt, for some reason, the ducks are not happy today. Someone said the ducks are not happy. But how can you tell? Ducks are nature's best poker players. If you ignore their inability to handle cards and their complete disinterest in the fundamental principles of gambling and cards. I recently moved to a village with some ducks. I say some ducks. I'm not sure how many ducks constitute some. Maybe it's the same ducks constantly moving around like extras on Lord of the Rings. Or maybe Lord of the Flies. I laughed, but the ducks are unmoved by my avian pun. It's flap dancers all over again. I know they're up to something. I saw the lead duck plotting in that way they do when they just behave like normal ducks. It's sneaky. I spent ages last week looking at them until I had to go to work. They think they've won. But the joke's on them. I've just left another job. So now I can watch them every minute of the every day. Take that disciplinary meeting to discuss my weird obsession with ducks. My friends think I spend too much time talking about ducks. So do my family. I try to distract myself with dating, but I can't seem to find anyone who enjoys water, bread and bobbing their head repeatedly. I just don't know what to do. Please help. Yours. Mr. A. Mallard. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, this, I, like, I like the way you read that, Dave. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, I, this resonates with me because you most... fancy ducks. Well, no, no, I don't fancy ducks. Which right, Often I walk past a load of ducks and I'm walking the dog in the morning. Yeah, I, you do actually talk about ducks quite a lot. Yeah, and, and I, the other day I walked past these ducks and it, the water was just just coming out of its frozen state. So that it was there was a thin film of water above the ice and the ducks were stood on the ice. So it looked like they were just stood on the water and I was like, Jesus-like, like you know. Jesus walk, ducks. Yeah. And I took a picture of them and I just said, you know, duck shithousery is strong today, you know, because they were just in a row on the water like they were Jesus staring back at me. And so I you looked thought at they them, were plotting? And I thought they were plotting. This, Rob, I know how you feel. I share the same 
concerns. Not necessarily dating the ducks, that would be a bit weird, mate, but the, the actual ducks being up to something, I know they're up to something, I saw the lead duck plotting in that way, I understand entirely. Yeah. I like the way that, you know, he gives you snippets of not only his, obviously, devastating preoccupation with the ducks, but also like little glimmers of of his daily life and like the fact that he's had to keep moving jobs and that he's got these interdisciplinary meetings mm. and you can't, he builds a whole world while even though he's just focusing on the ducks. Yeah. It's clever. Clever Rob. And also it's it's nice to laugh, isn't it? It's nice to it be is, laughing. Yes. We've had a, we've had some darkness so far today. Um and it's not surprising he made us laugh because Rob Smith is a comedy writer who has contributed to Newsjack, The Sitcom Trials, Next Level Sketch Comedy, Making an Impression Podcast and OMF Theatre. Give him a follow on Twitter. He is at 2014 Robert Smith. With a Y. Yeah. Smith with a Y. So next up, we have Dean Sills, who used a playing card as his prompt. It's pretty special. Right here in my hand, I can see a doctor, a builder, a dentist and a teacher. Yes, a jack of all trades. It's ace, but then again, that's because it's a different card. You get four of a kind... And these come as chocolate-covered biscuits, a mineral composed of pure carbon, a Scottish football team, and a garden tool which comes in very handy for digging out those weeds. You get other cards too, like Elvis and a rock band who sing. It's a kind of magic. And with magic you can make the cards disappear, then come back again, then disappear, then come back again. You have 52 cards in a pack, and they represent 52 weeks in a year. During those 52 weeks, couples who play cards never divorce. After all, they're too busy playing happy families. I did hear a story of one couple who fell out due to the fact the wife did snap once in a while, but I don't blame the wife, especially when her husband called her an old maid. She told him to go fish. He came back later with his rod in his hand, smiling and saying, let's hit the deck. And by the deck, I mean bed, so he could poke her. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> what? I mean, so many card game references, mm. all jam-packed, but none of them felt forced. Like, nope. Nope. Plus, it's it's given me a real hankering for happy families. Like, I loved that game. When I, when people do this, and they do it well, which, which is, here we He's have it. Really done, done, really he well. smashed it, hasn't he, Dean? We're getting these, these references, the Scottish football team, Elvis, so on and so forth. It's that whole... I'm sat here and I can see the cards and I can I can feel my own enjoyment of getting that card in my hand. Yeah. You know, you know, and I know I know yeah, Scottish football team more means more to me than maybe one or two of the others would mean for somebody else, but it's that you know that that joy you get when you're playing a game of cards and you get the cards come up for you and you look at them, oh, I've got it. I've got it. I've got my Scottish football team and I've got Elvis. So I'm going to win this hand or yeah. yeah I loved it. I loved it. Took me into the, the moment. Also the links of yeah. the numbers. You have 52 cards in a pack and they represent 52 weeks in a year. During those 52 weeks couple who play cards never get divorced. Yeah. After all they're too busy playing half families. Brilliant. Yeah. I loved like it. it, Dean. Can you send us more please? Well, well Dean is an actor who starred in the TV show Up North and has also become an award-winning wildlife filmmaker, showcasing the wildlife from his back garden. He has a new film out called Pond Life. Give him a follow on Twitter at Dean underscore Sills, S-I-L-L-S. We also have another piece of audio next from the crime author Stephen Bentley, Ooh. who used the prompt, he or she tries to imagine crossing over. Taunts of Wally the Wanker at school made him feel worthless. My lousy parents couldn't even name me Walter. Bloody Wally, he would lament. Then after the film about the chocolate factory, the taunt mutated to simply Wally Wanker. He hated it. Hated life. I wish I was dead, he would say. Maybe there is a God and a paradise. He tried to imagine an afterlife. At 40, losing his poxy job, he became homeless. At 41, he was turned down for a homeless shelter. You're not a drug addict, nor are you an ex-serviceman with PTSD, said the lady with the plummy voice who oversaw the charity. Now begging in the high street, Walter saw a replica gun in a second-hand shop. Fuck it, I've had enough, Wally muttered. Wearing a black balaclava, Wally heard the loudspeaker outside the bank. Come out with your hands raised, the voice demanded. In one hand, 50 quid in cash. In the other, the replica 9mm, both cash and guns stolen. 
Walking out of the bank, Wally saw the armed response vehicle. Get down on your knees, the loudspeaker barked. Standing tall, Wally raised the gun. He didn't hear the crack of the marksman's rifle, nor did he feel his head exploding like a squished, ripe and worthless oversized tomato. Goo and gore galore. Floating, looking down at his headless corpse, Wally felt peaceful. <sighs> I'm, I'm going to go off on one of my many tangents. Right. One of my favourite all-time albums is an album by Springsteen called Nebraska. Right. And all the songs are just really stripped down stories of everyday sort of life, usually very tragic life. And he tells the stories by giving us very, very brief descriptions of something, just like this. Yeah. And I love, because of the speed of that and the how succinct it start, middle, it's, end. It's almost skeletal, isn't it? Yeah. Adore it. Absolutely adore it. It's one of those also, where I can sit there. You've, you've got an entire 90,000 word book in those 200 words. Brilliant. Yeah. Love it. And it, the, the way, again, your favourite thing, starting off with making us laugh. Yeah. And then we don't know that we're going to end up with him having his head blasted off outside yeah. a bank. Goo and gore galore. Yeah. I'm going to have to start saying that to myself every it's, day. Goo and gore galore. It, Brilliant. That, that's a t-shirt slogan straight away. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Stephen is a former UK detective sergeant and barrister. Wow. Uh, now a true crime and crime fiction author of books such as Operation Julie and Operation George. His own police work as a pioneering undercover cop as part of Operation Julie in the mid-70s led to the breakup of one of the largest LSD manufacturing operations in the world. I want to know so much more. Uh, but if you do as well, go to his website, Stephen Bentley, B-E-N-T-L-E-Y, Stephen with a P-H, by the way, dot info. Oh, I'm up, I'm hooked. I'm hooked. We've, I mean... I, I mean, it's a, I don't want to sound like it's an insincere platitude, but we've got things from all around the world, from all around the UK... Thank you. All I can say, we, we, we're not even halfway through what Dave. we're reading out. But thank you, Lisa. I'm I'm loving this. Dave. Yeah. Ever taken LSD? Me? No, I haven't. No, I haven't. No, I'm afraid. I'm, are we going to have to do an? Are you suggesting we do an episode whilst on LSD? No, Dave. I am not. On <laughs> right. Next, we have another prompt using the challenge of finding your greatest fear and best defence using a red book you own. And this one is from Bruce Belanger. I hate it when the seasons change. Spring, summer, fall and winter would all be fine on their own. But the transition between them can be absolutely dreadful. Every single year, pollen and other irritants rip my nostrils apart from the inside out. Today is no different, as I enter the office with a plugged nose. Good morning, boss. Linda greets me, slightly concerned. The allergies again. Yeah, it's just that type of year, I grumble. How's the latest build of Project Delta? Has it complied yet? Linda shows me her computer. Mm, I'm afraid not. Debugging the engine dragged on long into the night. They only started compiling when I arrived at seven. Well, at least we're back on track. I managed to get these words out before releasing a hefty sneeze, covering Linda's monitor in a green sticky fluid. Luckily, she isn't in the way. Are you okay, sir? She asked, examining my face. Perhaps you should take a leave of absence. Go on a vacation. But the project! We're several months away from any public release, and we still need you to brainstorm a name. She smugly reminded me. No one's here to stop you. You're the one in power, remember? True, I concede, but where should I go? Oh, I'm not sure, Linda admitted. Maybe the high Arctic? Barely anything grows there, so no pollen. Hmm, good idea. I think about it briefly. I remove my phone from my pocket and pull up a map of Canada's three northern territories. One of their names suddenly captivates me. Yukon Engine. That has a pretty nice ring to it. Right, so, Dave. Yeah. What is the greatest fear? Oh. Uh, it's got to be... It's got to be the seasons. Or something of that there. Spring, summer. Something one oh, of yeah, those. I is thought it? it was pollen. But no, you're right. And the defence. Oh, I'm going to. I'm going to have to. I don't know. What is the? What's the? What have you got down for the defence? I think it's to do with. Peter knows. I can tell by his face. Something to do with. Uh, I think it's to do with power, or authority, because or in control, maybe. 
Am I, am I right, Peter? Mm-hmm. What is it? Power. Power. Ah, nice. Brilliant, again. Bruce. Um, they weren't easy to put together, yeah. were they? They they weren't. I'm, I'm sat here thinking now, what would I have done with that? And I certainly would. That's brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely lovely. Yeah, that awful feeling when you can't speak because you're riddled with that, like, oh, having to... I love the way you con engine. I, I do you do know. that? Do you, do you go places where you, and you see names and you write... I, I write the names down. Of, of various, I've got various places names or whatever in my phone from, from where I've been. And and because they, they have a... There's a rhythm to it or a... Um, yeah. What's the word? A, a poetry to it. You con engine. You con engine. Finding that, holding that, and then bringing it into play. I love that. Yeah, I've I had a good one once, which was Milk Hill, which has gone Ooh. into one of my stories. I quite liked Milk Milk Hill. Yeah. How do you find your place names, please, listeners? Uh, let's just quickly about Bruce. I'm going to ask you to say his name because it's it's got a French tinge to it. Bruce Belanger. Correct. Is a writer from Ontario over, over in Canada, and as well as writing the audio drama Susan's Wish, he's also written the novel The Power of the Pen which is an urban fantasy story about a group of teenagers who stumble across a magical pen with an uncanny ability to literally write reality. I like that. I love that. I want to read that so much, Dave. Find ways to buy the book at his website, Naval Maple, N-A-V-A-L-M-A-P-L-E dot C-A, Naval Maple. Um, it would, I, I also want one of those pens. Yes, yeah, that would be Does nice. Does he sell pens? It? Those <laughs> pens on his website. Yeah. Can you get the know. pens on the website? We want to know. Um, uh, what was the book that the he book got that from? The book was Hockey Night in Dixie by John C. Stott? 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 Stott. Must Stott. be Stott, isn't it? It's definitely not Stott. No, it's not Stott. John C. Stott. It was all going well, and then... Mm, you came on the podcast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right, now a selection of audio recordings from Melanie Crawley. Oh, these will be good. Starting with something inspired by the prompt pair of tweezers, followed by your mother's pearls, followed by severed bird heads. A pair of tweezers. Stop it. Just fetch the bloody thing, you said. I remember it. I remember. Don't you try and wriggle out of it. It was your fault. I was just climbing out of the bath when I heard you, screaming at her as if she can even understand human. Then you saw I'd heard and you hung your head quite right too. I remember because I stepped on a tiny bit of glass from that champagne bottle you threw at me on Sunday. Funny that I wasn't injured during the act of violence itself, but only five days later on a dreary Thursday afternoon as you're berating a nine-month-old puppy through boredom. Your mother's pearls. Buried. They're in the ground with her never to see the light of day again. I can feel his arms around my shoulders. He's behind me, feeling my sadness. It wasn't in the will. How did they know it? She wanted me to have them. These beads of love. Someone keeps sending you severed bird heads. How can I make dinner? Or actually, any meal? if I'm just thinking about the nobble of what is meat, really. Meat covered in feathers, which I've put in the ground earlier that day. And today's was tiny. And Robin, poor lad, I can't do it. So I go green. Green veg. As far away from feather-covered rotting meat as possible. But then I think maybe... Embrace it. Eat songbirds. And then stop. They're not just songbirds. There was a parrot. And for Christmas, such a large parcel. A flamingo, I'm sure. A flamingo no longer able to flirt. Soup. What an absolute treat those were. They were- superbly read i mean the pace and rhythm particularly you know you've got this the image of this very angry argument with the champagne bottle and you you're thinking what's what's gone off here why have they had this terrible argument and then she flits to that very quiet solitary slightly spooky piece about the ghost placing the pearls oh Oh, dave no i didn't mean it like that i've said it wrong you have so said it wrong i didn't mean it like that i meant as in 
I really loved that phrase, the beads of love, you know, just the way it was, I'll get my coat. But, but then the flamingos who can no longer able, or no longer able to flirt. Yeah, now, that's, that's really good. And, and yeah. the, um, the way that she says, just meat, meat, yeah. dead meat, meat. covered the in feathers. The meat. knobble of meat. Amazing. Yeah. And then just at the end, stop, soup. I thought she was going to say, because I, I could see it from the distance. I thought she was going to say, stop, stop sending me. But no, yeah. she's just like, oh, I'm going to make flamingo soup. soup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a nice, lovely, shimmering, dark comedy bubbling away under under the surface of Miss Crawley's stories. More, please. Uh, well, But she has actually put us to shame slightly because um, she read them so well. She did, didn't she? Yes. But she is an audiobook narrator, oh, is, right, is well. Melanie. She's an actor, designer and producer, co-founder of Next Left Theatre and producer of the play Tanny and Tanny. You can visit her online at melaniecrawley.com. And also, I do actually know Melanie and do she's you? one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. Oh, brilliant. So what's next then? Oh, so next we have prompt responses by Ian Oliver, who you can follow on Twitter at planet underscore leasty, which is L-E-E-S-T-I. That's at planet underscore leasty. So I decided the only solution was to seduce him. I'd seen him in lectures many times. He always seemed to be alone. He'd wear the same style of clothes, a plaid short sleeve shirt and jeans. He'd always sit in the same place in the lecture theatre, second row, four seats from the front. I gazed at him from afar with longing, but he never seemed to notice me. I caught up with him a couple of days ago. I'd seen him at the queue at the donut stall, so I popped over and said hi. He was pleasant, but seemed quite distant. The conversation felt a little stilted. He seemed quite shy or indifferent to me, but not to worry. I'd find a way to crack into his interior. I passed him a note in the next lecture, but he read it without seeming to comment. How was I going to attract his attention and let him know I wanted him? I decided the only solution was to seduce him, confront him directly. So for the final lecture that week, I wore my sexiest clothing, brushed my hair just right, and purposely sat next to him. I'd win him over with my charm and sex appeal. He barely noticed. Even when I accidentally touched his hand as he lay it on the desk. Even when I slipped my shoe off and casually brushed his leg with my toes. I could take it no more. I grabbed his hand and held it. He didn't let go. At the end of the lecture, he turned to me. The first time he'd ever properly gazed into my eyes. He was so handsome, so cute. And then he said the words that would stay with me for the rest of my life. You're kind of cool. Why are you holding my hand? Because I fancy you. Oh, right. I'm asexual. Good luck with that. <laughs> Great. I love it. Subversion of the romance genre. Absolutely. Perfectly executed by the lovely Ian Oliver. Absolutely. Um, who also has his own podcast, actually. Uh, I think it's, I believe it's Barefoot Backpacker. Um, uh, he, he walks around bare feet. He, he travels the world barefoot, barefooted. Wow. Yeah. That was lovely. I loved it. Yeah. I'm asexual. I was Good right there in that. the lecture theatre. Yes. Going, come on, you can do it. <laughs> yeah. You can snag him. There's a big romance coming. Yeah. I don't think I've heard that in a story before. Like, you don't really hear the topic of, of uh, asexuality being really confronted in, in or, no. or, or, or talked about in, in literature. Do you? It's a strange barrier to have to, for an antagonist to overcome, isn't it? When you think about it, sometimes it's, oh, they're just not into you or they're, yeah. I don't know, they've got somebody else and all the no rest of it. There's just no arguing with that, is but there? But there is just, yeah, I'm just not interested. Just no, yeah. Love it. Yeah. Thank you, Ian. Um, next, we have an audio recording from Amber Phillips using the prompt, his name was Sharky. His name was Sharky. Quite an obvious name for a lone shark, really. I'll never know how the police didn't suspect. Maybe his cousin being in charge of the local constabulary had something to do with it. Sharky was not just a loan shark. He was quite possibly the world's worst loan shark. He never kept track of how much you owed. He always asked people if they paid him back and just took their word for it. And he seemed to give out more money than he ever got back. You'd have had more trouble getting money out of a cash point. Sharky was also my best friend. 
Oh, that is lovely. There's a sweetness to that, isn't it? The, yeah, definitely. The, he was my best friend. I'd also, just, like, I like how she hasn't kind of shied away from um, just, you know, it makes you laugh instantly. Like, quite quite an obvious name for a loan shark. Yeah. And you get that quality of, of voice, of, of n- a narrator, just from that opening line immediately. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a real warmth to it. Poor Sharky. Yeah. He's just in the wrong line of work. He needs to, he needs to start working for charity instead. Yes. <laughs> Needed better careers advice at school, did old Sharky. Yeah, and you get, so you get, she's, she's done that really brilliantly. So you get a sense of the narrator, but also the protagonist. Yeah. A really deep sense of both of them. In a very short space of time. It's a wonderful character sketch, isn't it? Yeah, which is not surprising, given that Amber Phillips is a comedy writer who's written for Newsjack, the Design Spark podcast and Sketch, please. Her own podcast, the Amber Phillips Comedy Sketchbook, is available at ambersketchpod.buzzsprout.com. And next up, what have we got, Dave? Uh, we've got another audio, this time from Catherine McDermott. She uses the prompt, you stole what? I panicked. I needed companionship and protection. There was only one way of outdoing the neighbours at number 10 with their extra-large wicker penguin. He seemed like the answer to all my needs. And he was quite easy on the eye. (gasps) Ooh, athletic. I was besotted with him. It's not easy, though, stealing a pygmy warrior, but I can tell you it's worth it. Sometimes you get a window into people's lives with yeah. this. And I want to know, <laughs> pygmy warrior? I'm more interested in the large wicker penguin. <laughs> well, have you never seen a large wicker penguin? But I want one. <laughs> and a pig pygmy warrior. Pygmy warrior. So we've got ducks, we've got pygmy warriors, we've got, you know, there are some serious tastes out there, Dave. There are. There are. <laughs> Imagine if you put all these people in a house, how eclectic that design would be. I love God. this. Yeah, it's great. Great. It's such, such a simple thing, right? I want something better than theirs. I'm going to have a pygmy warrior. It's... Oh, I thought she'd stolen the pygmy warrior from the neighbours that also have the penguin. Oh, I thought she went and, oh no, I've got it the other way around. That They've got a penguin, she wants to outdo the penguin. Pygmy warrior always oh. outdoes a penguin. It's up for debate. She's also, Catherine has also very generously sent us a log line. Do you remember oh, those, Dave? Yeah, we, it was secret, potent and butcher. What did she come up with? She came up with... A Manchester butcher discovers he has a secret power when he releases a potent fart which reveals clues to where missing people have been buried. <laughs> That's great, isn't it? <laughs> I love it. What a very British superhero. I mean, I'd, I'd commission it. <laughs> yeah. Let's get on to Sky. Stuff Marvel. Well, that's the movie we want. Yeah. Love it. Um, so, Catherine is an actor and writer and you can give her a follow on Twitter at K... K-A-Y underscore M-C-D 12. While we're on the topic of short little bits of wonder, how about this one by Shirley Horsfield-Porter on how to describe an orange to somebody who has never seen one? Round, soft, a little pitted, like your acne-racked face. But it smells a hell of a lot better, especially as I slice it. (laughs) I had to move a long way away from the microphone of that one because as soon as she got to the acne-potted face, I'd gone. That was brilliant. Acne-racked face. Racked God, side, yes. how lovely. What a lovely, lovely sounds in this piece. Soft to little pitted. All those plosives. Great. Shirley is a writer and also she's incredible. I know her. I actually know her from... From the MA that we both did together, and we worked on an anthology of creative writing together. And she's great. She's kind of anarchic, and she's got pink hair, and she does all sorts of. She loves folklore, and um, she always writes these wonderful, kind of disturbing, magical realism-based pieces. And yeah, there's always that really dark undercurrent. Love it. So if you're looking for something dark, my street. Head to Shully. Okay. Next, we have an audio recording from psychic journeyman, cult occultist, and ghost seer Lars Head, using the prompt he or she tries to imagine crossing over. Excellent. People often try to imagine crossing over. And indeed, many will be full of preconceptions about what exists 
beyond the veil. Let me disabuse you of your fanciful notions. When you die, there are no harps or clouds or anything like that. All life is part of the energy continuum. When you pass, you merely transform from one type of energy to another. In this new spirit form, the dead person is apt to continue on serenely, never again being bothered by shoehorns or pheasants, or indeed any of the minutiae of human life. When a spirit medium, such as I, calls a spirit back down to the earthly realm, they will often encounter some resistance. This explains why many spirits give very distracted answers to questions in seances, typically speaking in rather polite banalities, or talking very vaguely about their lives. This can be hard on the psychic medium, because it means that what they channel from the other side can sound, well, unconvincing. But, despite the doubters, mediums will often persist simply for the joy it brings their sitters rather than for any financial inducement, which, when you think about the service we're providing, is basically negligible anyway. Is wow, he, wow, wow. Is he wearing a smoking jacket when he says that? When he's very, <laughs> I feel like I'm back in the 1950s and there's some sort of, it, it's black and white, you know, and he stood next to a, a roaring fire and he's telling us this wonderful, and we're yeah, about to cut into some sort of story about like what used to happen. something about a, like from a coward play or yes. a Terence Rattigan. It's so kind of evocative of a, a specific era and a type, isn't it? He, he, I can see him. he's got one hand. You, you know how they do that with the, Oh yeah, in their pocket. Yeah, in the pocket, just a certain, with the thumb sticking out. I love it. Fantastic. I love it. Beautifully it's so read. so formed. That yes. character is so, yeah. Um, yeah, you can see him, feel him. That voice, it's delightful. Absolutely. So, Lars Head has his own podcast called Lars Head Supernormal, which you can search for in your, you know, alongside searching for ourselves. He's definitely not, however, best-selling writer Edward Higgins. No. He was the author of Conversations with Spirits. If he was, then you could follow him on Twitter at E.O. Higgins with a double G. But he's not. So you can't. It's not, so I wouldn't bother. No. Well, I would, but... I would also. You know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. So, but, uh, but I'd go for both, Brilliant. I would say. What a coup to, to have Lars Head on, Lars our, Head. on our humble little podcast, Dave. I know. I'm ch- I chuffed to the max about that. I am. What's next? What's next? What's NXT? What's next is coming up. Yes, next we have Robert Kingham. Ooh. Who has written something for us based on the prompt. On Tuesday, she asked me the most peculiar question. Let's hear it. On Tuesday, she asked me the most peculiar question. Do you want to see where I lived? When I had Toby? That's the way to our house, in North Eye. This was by Fordwood Lane. We'd taken a scenic route back, and she told me to stop the bike. The lane goes to the village of North Eye, but there's no sign that tells you that. This is my cousin's daughter. She's six years old. Toby is... She's always referred to Toby as her son. When she started talking, she cuddled her soft toys and called them Toby. So I swing the bike around. She's in the sidecar, giving me directions. I've never been here before. She seems to know the way. That's it. It's a semi-detached house, 1930s. Same as the rest we rode past. That was our bedroom. The big window. But your mummy and daddy have never lived here. I tell her gently. They bought your house before you were born. Yes, she says, but this house belonged to my other parents. Look, the little window. That was where Toby slept. But that big room downstairs, I stayed down there when I was sick and I died. Now, I'm not looking at the house. I'm looking straight at her. When I look back, I see the light in the hallway has come on. I love I love the structure of this. I love the pace of this and the gentleness almost. All the way through there's a gentleness in, in the discussion. Yeah, and the delivery. And the delivery. Well. Yeah. And and to me then that's that wonderful structure I think is so important and the way that you build is 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 essential and this builds beautifully to and Absolutely. But just the gentleness of dropping that last line on you. About yeah, the light you've got the that, that subtlety. Yes. But also 
contrasting with that kind of the way that children are just very matter of fact mm. about things. Oh yeah, that's where I was sick and died. Yeah. And you know she's not lying. And you just you're just left. You just dropped into this situation and you think, What's next? How's he gonna navigate this one? Yeah. Wonderful. So tell us about Robert then. Robert's, much of Robert's writing is from the guided walks he runs, which we understand are original uh, esoteric and theatrical affairs. Ooh. They include the weird London of Arthur McCann, the boozy bawdy history of Jury Lane, and the uncanny 1980 UFO incident in Reddlesham Forest in Suffolk. He's also written a book about the mysteries of 17th century London called London Baroque a documentary film series, Pagan London, and most recently a 10-part full-cast audio drama thriller called Bluebird. And they all can be found on minimumlabyrinth.org. Wow. And next on this wonderful list, we have Stu Newman with the response to the prompt. Oh, I love this prompt. The Day the Crayons Quit. Life hacks. That's where it all went wrong. Orange took a long drag from his pipe and let out a smoke-filled sigh. What's a life hack? asked Purple, puzzled. Orange reached into his pocket and took out his mobile phone. It was haggard and scratched from years of being thrown around his person whenever he was used and flung back down. Purple and the other colours looked on in anticipation. Green, enthralled, shuffled to get a better view, elbowing the others out the way. Orange leant forward and held his phone up for all to see. Hi, I'm Lifehack Steve, and here's a great tip if you run out of candles. Lifehack Steve picked up a Zippo from the countertop and grinned as he opened a small box. It contained yellow. Yellow stared blankly into the camera, his face drained of all colours. He was merely grey now. Lifehack Steve pulled his thumb down on the Zippo wheel, creating a huge flame and plucked yellow from his box. You can use all crowns that you have lying around. The group gasped and every colour covered its eyes. The room was silent except for the sound of sizzling paper, melting wax and Lifehack Steve's ongoing commentary. Orange pushed stop and wiped a tear from his eye. Lifehacks. God damn Lifehacks. Fantastic. There's so much life in that. There is. Life hacks. Absolutely. Yeah, and I love the idea of the yellow crayon blanching to grey. Yes. Yeah. And that the horror of watching watching them the melt. Yes. Brilliant. Also, I have to agree with you. Life hacks are where it all goes wrong. It does indeed. Yes. I enjoyed I enjoy that. It makes it's that whole there's a life to to even the things we don't expect there to be. Yeah. Right, so I'm just going to tell you a bit about that. The, the author of that lovely piece, Stu Newnham, is a musician who tries to be funny and succeeds, I would like to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, also a voice actor and co-hosts the 10-hour timestamp gaming podcast. Give him a follow on Twitter at Stu, S-T-U, the Brummy. Brummy is I-E, not Y. Stu, the Brummy. Thank you, Stu. We really enjoyed that very much. And last, but definitely not least, we have Alan Walker, who's also responded to the prompt, your favourite prompt, Dave. Mm. The day the crayons quit. I was there the day the crayons quit. I know what you are thinking. What does the children's artistic instrument have anything to do with what I'm talking about? Well, I need to set the record straight. The crayons were, in fact, the city's greatest defence force, purely due to their colourful outfits. It's the year 200 AB, after bomb, and most of the world has been blown off the map. The population that is left have grouped together in order to survive. For the past five years, I have served the Hack Militia in the area of London that used to be known as Hackney. I'm what's called a magman, which literally has me running, delivering ammo to all the soldiers on duty. It's a tiring job, but at least I get my steps in, whatever that means. The crayons were the best. Everyone wants to join the crayons. They earned their rep by holding back the sentinels from the holy town of Dagenham and managed to stop the ministers during the annual elections day. The only problem is, we overworked them. One day they left, leaving only a note that said, we quit. Brilliant. 
absolutely brilliant. It's just a completely, you know, it's a it's a completely sort of dystopian, mm. uh, unreal world, but one that you kind of faintly recognise as well. I love AB yeah, after bomb, after bomb, and the uh, what was the hack bit about the Hackney? He's a oh the the hack militia. Yeah, the the hack of London militia. used to be known as Hackney. When I first read this, I was wondering where this was going. The the, the crayons, the greatest defence force, purely from their colourful outfits. I love that. You know, it's, that's almost a faint. You know, they, they sort of moves us away in my mind. I sort of okay, and then you get all this other information very quickly, very well delivered. Do you know something, Dave? What's that? Alan's a first-time writer. Isn't that amazing? I love it. Yeah. Well done, mate. Well Alan done. Walker describes himself to us as a long-time fantasy and sci-fi fan, first-time writer. We're not being published in Navy magazine about the fascinating world of paint. He can be spotted at his local dojo teaching or practising karate. Right. The, 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 the one main thing I want to say to Alan is, for God's sake, keep going. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Because if that's what comes out from a first-time writer, I want to know what a second-time writer, Alan, produces. I agree. Alan? Yeah. Send us more. Send us more. In fact, all of you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Sorry, if we haven't got around to reading what you've sent in today, that I'm, I'm sorry. We've had so, so many, and it's been a real um, privilege to, to receive them. Yeah. So thank you for that. And with this being Prompty Prompt and the end of the series, we have a we can't leave you without doing some live prompting, responding, so to speak, ourselves. So we have a bit of fun right at the end. I have done a prompt just for Letty. Oh, good. And let you do the prompt just for me, a three-minuter. On your marks. Are you ready to see? Let's just, right. Uh, we, so we, just to be clear, yeah. I'd, obviously I don't know what did it, Dave's given me and he yeah. doesn't know what I've given me. I don't know so either. We're going to open our pieces of paper. Yeah, we've been given these by our producer, Peter. And we're going to open them now. Are you ready? Yeah. Go. Three, two, one. Go. <laughs> this is that Letty has been a lot kinder to me than I've been to, to Letty. Yeah, I am kind. That's the thing about me, Dave. This, I, right, okay. Letty what's, has been what? so kind to me because the prompt I've been given for three minutes is I write because. And the prompt that I've been given is <laughs> the last of the toothpaste. So, so sorry. Right. Well, let's see how we go, shall we? Right, Peter, get us three minutes on the clock. Go. All right. I'm so, so sorry. Are you? Yes. I shouldn't be. Revenge <laughs> is best served minty fresh, Dave. Oh. Right, who's going first? Probably you. Uh, probably me. Did you enjoy that? No, actually, I didn't. It's actually really hard. Oh. To try and produce something that is actually of meaning within all of that. Rather than just like a big list of why you write. Which is what I've done. Yeah, but I th- that's sort of what I wanted because, I, you know, I, I, I wasn't sure if we were going to have a chat about who we are and why we write. And I thought like it might be a nice little insight into your literary soul, Dave. Oh, maybe this is then. Come on then. Okay, it goes like this. I write because I wish I knew. It's a curse. It's a joy. It's all my nightmares in one sweet release. It's every bully, every kiss, every fall and bounce and tear in the scratch of a nib and page. It's because of you and him and her and them and me. It's because of me. I write because of me. That is the best thing you've written on this show. <laughs> I thank you so much. Love it. Also, I would really like listeners to respond to that prompt. Yes, I would as well. I think that's a cracking prompt. I write because. Yeah. Dave, that was that was great. Thank you. Thank you for the prompt. You, I think you should be pleased. Are you pleased with it? Yes, I am actually. Yeah, I even stopped within the three minutes, which I noticed that. Try not to overwrite. You're swearing and yes. looking at me. Yes. In a mean way. Which is probably what you're doing to me next. No, not in the slightest. I wish we'd kind of ended the show on that one because it's so nice. <laughs> <laughs> As opposed to ending the art and... The last of the toothpaste. Okay. <laughs> Ready? Yeah. I took great pleasure 
in smearing the last of the toothpaste all over Dave's head while he was asleep. I liked the way it settled into the creases behind his ears, the way it clotted his eyebrows. Suddenly it occurred to me I could take it a step further considering the fact it was a suspiciously hot day for Whitby. I removed the parasol so the sun was more direct. I carefully wrote the word twat onto his shiny bald pate and waited for him to wake up minty fresh. (laughs) (laughs) You reap what you sow, Dave. Yeah, indeed. That's what I will say to you. I love it. But then again, I've loved everything you've written on this this show. Don't try and suck up to me. No, I'm truthful, I'm truthful. I've loved everything you've written on this show. What a lovely time we've had. We have, indeed. It's nice to be back in doing the prompts, isn't it? I can't wait to series two. I can't. More, more prompts, more, more laughter. So, as always, if you want to appear on the show, write in. If you want to just have a chat with us, you know how to do that. Social media, Twitter, Insta. Discord. Yeah. Um, We want to hear from you. We want to read your words, listen to your voices. Come and get involved. Come and jump on the prompty prompt train. Choo choo. So that's the end of the series, folks. Um, There's a few thank yous. Um, There's a massive thank you to Hallam University who have provided us with studio space all the way through, and we couldn't have done it without you. A massive thank you to Peter, our producer at Cornucopia Radio, who has taught us so much and kept us on the straight and narrow and kept us within our time frames and all the rest of it but we would really would be lost without him my immense thanks as well to my co-host the brilliant brilliant letty butler who inspires me every time we sit down my thanks to all the guests as well we've had some fantastic guests all the guests and to all our helpers at Helen as well yes and finally thank you yes you who is listening to us right now, wherever it may be, in the bath, on the tube, walking the dog, uh, having a picnic on the carpet, on the loo, on a flying carpet. If you're on a flying carpet, we want you to say hello. I'd want more than that. (laughs) Anyway, the point is, whether or not you've contributed to the show or you've engaged with us, doesn't matter. We're just so grateful to you for listening today. And we'll be back this summer with more stunning stories for you with series two